Welcome to the Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup, being brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their check. I'm Susan Littlefield as we are broadcasting from NCC, the classic. It's a full week and into the weekend of cattle shows here in Nebraska. And so lots of things happening, especially when it comes to these cattlemen looking at what we had happening in the markets this week. We've had some great discussions on that. Well, we'll be talking not only about the cattle market, but what's happening with the drop that we saw in the wheat trade. We know that earlier this week, there was the issue with BSE in Brazil. We're gonna take a look at that and a whole lot more on this week's report. Imagine a future fueled by soy-based possibilities. A future where creativity and productivity live together under one roof. A future that takes you from point A to point B to point Z all while ensuring brighter tomorrows for our next generation. A soy-based future? It's already here. Well, welcome back. As you can see, joining me, we have got Darren Fry with Water Street Advisors. And Ben Rand, we'd like to welcome him to the program. Ben, of course, is with the Home Agency and Blue Line Futures, who happens to just have a booth, just a few uh, booths down from us. So to start out, gentlemen, it's been an interesting week of marketing. So we got to first talk with this wheat market because it definitely took a big drop on a Friday trade. And Darren, I'm going to kind of get your thoughts. What did you see kind of as a catalyst for bringing us lower like it did? Well, I think the, the fundamentals are really uh, somewhat negative on the demand side with um, some of the things that are going on with some of these countries that need to import with stronger currencies, a weaker ruble for Russia, stronger dollar, weaker currencies like in Egypt, and the importers just don't have the same buying power. You put on top of that, Russia's got a humongous crop, and because they're weakening ruble, they just keep sinking these prices lower and lower. So we're not competitive here with US wheat, Europe isn't competitive, and I think that is the downward pressure. Now, technically, uh, we're, we're in the last move uh, to the bottom here, the sequence, and I am looking for a bottom. I just don't think it's going to come until we get out maybe another six to eight weeks. But we just got into a place here where the funds uh, probably added to their positions. We don't know because we haven't had a COT report in about three weeks, but we should get one today. And if you take a look at the charts, they look like they're ready uh, to really begin a more impulsive move lower the last three days of trade. So finished off the week poor, and I think we got more downside ahead of us here. Is there any concerns crop-wise, uh, Darren? Because to the south, things are starting to warm up and they're getting some moisture. Is there some potential for that to weigh in on this trade as well? Well, I still think we're awful dry in our plains out in the west and southwest area, and I don't see that changing drastically. I mean, we're starting to see the drought monitors shrink in a lot of places in the country, but not out there yet. So I don't think this has a lot to do with that. More so, I think it's just the world trade and the fact that the northern part of Africa and the Middle East has a good crop going and they have more rain on the way. And they import about one third of the wheat in the world. So that's a good thing for them to have a good crop and that put pressure on the market again today. Well, for folks that are watching this, we're recording this on the 24th of February, which is a Friday, which happens to be uh, the one-year anniversary of the start of the war with Ukraine and Russia. And, and Ben, I want to kind of get your thoughts a little bit first on this. What are you seeing and, and as the market moves forward? They're still focusing on these countries at war. And the talk of Ukraine maybe branching out, shall we say, and, and fighting in a different way. And you've seen uh, Zelensky has come out. And he is uh, openly asking for other um, countries you know, to participate in these peace agreements and, and really trying to make some alliances here. 
you know, I think uh, over the course of the last year of this thing, we really saw um, the market rally from, you know, what we would deem, see, deem as normal seasonality uh, all the way through June and July and really stayed really strong. But here within the last, oh, call it couple, two, three months, uh, I, I really feel like some of that Ukrainian story has been overplayed. And the market just doesn't have the same level of volatility that we saw early on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, is it still a very important story? Sure, it absolutely is. Um, but I do think we have to take it with a grain of salt. And I think the market's doing the same. What do you think, Darren? Uh, and one year anniversary and how these markets are playing it out. Well, you know, we've had a lot of um, support from the Ukrainian-Russia war and what the corridor will do. And ever since the corridor reopened, uh, we've seen some challenges with getting ships inspected and vessels moving out of there. But, you know, we do have that next negotiation coming up here the middle of March to extend it another 120 days. But I think the market thinks that that probably is going to happen. There might be some you know, posturing ahead of that from Russia and Putin trying to get some better things with their sanctions. But I just don't think we're going to leave much premium in there for that. We'll see if the war escalates. We'll see if the corridor does have a problem staying reopened. But if it does stay reopened, I think we got more downside as the market is tired of hearing that story. I saw a couple of posts on Twitter this morning that were talking about this Russia-China deal. And should the markets be nervous? I'll let both of you answer. Darren, go ahead and we'll start with you. I think we should be nervous. I mean, we have strained relationships with both of them. And I I really think uh, that is going to be a problem if China and Russia continues to build their relationship while we have sanctions on Russia and we're not happy with how China's dealing with maybe Taiwan. So there's some geopolitical things there, the balloons and all the uh, malarkey around that situation. So I do think that's concerning when China is such a big trade partner. What about for you, Ben? No, Darren hit the nail on the head. I mean, China is a huge trade partner. We rely really heavy on them to be a buyer of our, our agricultural goods. Um, for, for China and Russia to, to want to partner up or, or the potential for them uh, it, to, to have a stronger alliance than they already do is absolutely a threat in my book. And it's something that we need to be very serious about. Uh, and the, the news of Taiwan and, and boots on ground in Taiwan only adds uh, fuel to the fire with some of those geopolitical tensions. So I think we have to handle that with kid gloves. So what is Brazil going to do with this meat that was in route to China? And China said, nope, we don't want it. Send it back. Have you either one of you heard? I have not. Yeah, I have not either. Okay. Well, I know that they did, as we all know, that that BS, BSE case, but it was an atypical. But they're going to call off this beef purchases. Is there the chance then we could see some some money coming our way? I, I would think so. I mean, um, China's appetite for beef has gone way up in the last three to five years. They've been huge importers of U.S. beef. I know Brazilian beef is way cheaper, and I know our tensions geopolitically are up, but they might just find themselves coming here, and that is some hopes for the cattle market. You know, and I, I'll back you up on that, Darren. Something that we've kind of forgotten about over the course of the last two years, we've had a lot of talk of pandemic and, and some of the world population numbers. The reality is we crossed – 8 billion mouths to feed Mark back in January. And that is a hurdle that the world has never faced before. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think China and, and just the sheer volume of people, uh, I think there's there's reasons to be positive with it. We had a cattle on feed report come out as well. Darren, you got your hands on those numbers. What are you seeing? Well, they're smaller. They're supportive to the market. And I they're not really that off of what trade was expecting, but they are down from last month. And I think you'll continue to see those numbers uh, tail off here as we get farther into this year, just because we expect the herd to continue to shrink. Gestation being nine months takes longer to rebuild. 
And so there are good fundamentals around the supply side of cattle. We always like to do comparisons and I wish I had charts and graphs to throw up at this point, but we continue to talk about the drought that we've been in and, and you brought it up. We've talked about it in the past too, Darren, and that's comparing 2013 to 2023. We did it with 12 and 22. What are we seeing in this market? Is there some concerns? I'll kind of start with you first, Ben. You know, I, uh, I look at this um, through the eyes of a crop insurance agent. I, you know, I, when I look at our discovery prices that we had in 12, um, you know, we ended that year at 750, started, uh, you know, in the high fives. And then in 2023, um, really got pummeled, uh, it, you know, closed out 20, I'm sorry, 2013 at 439 futures. Uh, and if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see, I, I, you know, I tried to put some of this up there to keep this all in perspective. If you want to talk about plant 92, 93 million acres of corn, uh, we, yes, there's drought concerns, but the trend has changed. I mean, the weather patterns have changed. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and we think we have to take that in consideration. Uh, also keep in mind, in 2013, they planted like a 90, they, they call it 97.1 by the end of the year. After you take out some prevent plant, came in just over 95 million acres. Uh, but they only had a 158 yield. Uh, trend line this year, 181.5. You put that with a 92, 93 million acre number. Uh, those are some very large carryouts. Uh, and I think that's something to keep in consideration. So what about for you, Darren, as you as you look at these numbers, what are you thinking in the comparisons of the two years? And is there some red flags of some sort that producers could be looking out for? Well, you got the same scenario set up. We had high prices in 10, 11 and 12. We've had high prices at the end of 20, beginning of 21, all the way through now. And you're looking at the same scenario, you know, high prices cure high prices. You finally get people encouraged to plant more and and uh, produce more. And we've had some weather events that have caught some of these shortages, but also you kill demand. And we've seen the demand get killed in certain markets. And that is what prices are supposed to do. So uh, I'm with Ben. I think that as we go into 23, the weather is different. Could we have a drought? Sure. The Western Corn Belt is most susceptible to that with the dry areas out West. But if those things start to cure up, man, we could have cheap prices coming into our fall. And weekly exports um, numbers have continued to see a decline, but it is February towards the end. Should we normally, Darren, see that this time of year anyways? Well, I think exports are a little poorer than what people really want, especially on the bull side. Uh, we've seen more than we should have gotten on beans, but we're seeing less on corn and wheat. And I think that trend will continue. And a little disappointing given Brazil's out of the market with higher FOD prices. And Ukraine obviously has some vessel issues trying to get them inspected and shipped but we're just not seeing the demand for our corn market. As we've got about 45 seconds here between the two of you, I want to find out, uh, we'll start with you, Ben. What's the one thing you want folks to keep an eye on going into next week? Uh, you know, let's watch the dollar. Um, let's keep an eye on the dollar index. Uh, that That is, you know, to me, was a major contributing factor uh, for us being competitive on the international market for the grains. Uh, and on the cattle side, you know, let's keep our eye on uh, what these plants are willing to pay for some Bob, you know, Bob fats. What about for you, Dan? Yeah, I agree with the dollar. It's bottomed. It's headed higher. I like the dollar for higher. That's going to put pressure on our markets. If you're a farmer out here with not much sold or hedge for 23, you better consider that because when you see a ski slope that looks steeper than a double black diamond, you're probably not bullish anymore. You should get short. So uh, these markets are headed lower, in my opinion. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us this week with the Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup. And as we always remind you, commodity futures and options involve a substantial risk of loss not suitable to all investors. That has been the Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup right here on the Rural Radio Network.